Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Well, Gary, exciting to have you on the show. I'm I'm really looking forward to that because I think it's a topic that, especially over the last, I believe, 10, 5 to 10 years, has really become to the forefront of a major issue of modern society, I guess, and that there's actually so much we can do about it, but also that there are so many issues that uh, we previously have not acknowledged. And maybe that's also just a shift of how society thinks about mental health, but it's it's certainly something I'm super, super passionate about and, and really eager to learn more. So thank you very much for being available. No, I'm, I'm really happy to be here, Sebastian. And, and you know, I, I think that it is certainly something that has been a little more prominent over the last five or 10 years. And it's, you know, it's it's strangely complex and complicated, but at the same time, quite simple as well. Um, not easy, uh, but simple. And, you know, I, I think that Part of what I hope to um, to bring to the world of mental health or, or mental strength or, or anything in that realm is that uh, just another voice that might resonate with people. I think that might be where we've let ourselves down over time. It's been the same types of voices for a number of years, and 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 that has alienated you know particular groups from speaking up about mental health. And hopefully um, that that tide is starting to shift a little. Yeah, yeah, and. I believe in the line of work that you were in and, you know, you were really high end there of, of protecting the, the Australian Prime Minister and also uh, holding the office of the Australian Federal Police Commissioner, yeah? Uh, I, I looked after the Commissioner's office, yeah. I wasn't the Commissioner, but I, I right, ran his office, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have and, that pay packet. <laughs> you know, the, the duty that, that comes in that line of work would, would suggests to me that you feel really purposeful that you know like you feel really you know you do, do a do really honorable job how is it that mental health comes into the picture in particular in these frontline um professions yeah it's it's uh, yeah it's a, it's a great question in fact it's it's probably not not a question i've been asked before and um you know i think at the uh, you know the frontline professions or the the emergency services the military um it happens quite a bit uh, in, in high-performance athletes as well, and even high-performance business, you tend to live a fulfilling life where you, you are focused on fulfilling, um, fulfilling work, I suppose, but it's also very narrow. Uh, it's very narrow towards the job that you're doing. It is a fulfilling role, uh, but what tends to happen is people get their identity completely wrapped up in the work that they do. Uh, they tend to become, yes. uh, you know, again, their, their identity is what they do, not who they are. And that fulfillment and that value and that purpose in life is extremely narrow when you when you work in the pointy end of, of anything, when you're at the high performance field of, of any of any industry. Um, but even 
as, as in parenting or relationships, if your if your sole focus is on being the best dad that you can be, then that's very narrow. There are a lot of things that fall by the wayside outside of that. And you know, I think people that are in high performance fields or are very um, are very action orientated fields can uh, can have fulfilling work. But again, it's very narrow. And so what tends to happen is relationships fall by the wayside. Work becomes the primary um, source of your life and and therefore everything else falls away. And if you happen to hit a few hurdles or you happen to retire, uh, much like the military or, or athletes that retire early, you tend to fall in a big hole because your purpose and your fulfillment no longer exists and your identity was so attached to your role that you kind of feel like you don't know who you are anymore. I, I relate to that. Um, you know, leading a, an organization, coming home, it is sometimes a struggle to have to wear a different hat. And in fact, there are sort of tricks like alter egos that you can bring to the workplace. You wear your uniform when you come at home. If you need to, to put actually a Hawaiian shirt on just to know you're the fun dad now. And and I lo- know people that are in the military and the police, they come home and they, they found it hard to... To, to change their tone and become that soft person. And, and I believe there can be struggle because of that. But for you, it was even before you finished your career, you already struggled with mental health uh, Yeah, while actually having a really fulfilling job. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. And, and look, I had a, a great 18-year career with the Australian Federal Police and I, I did some fantastic roles there, all of them quite fulfilling, uh, a lot of them uh, very much in the, in the high-performance um, realm uh, high responsibility, high profile, um, but it's it's interesting that you you touch on um, you know almost having an alter ego at work and, and and at home and you know I think there is a bit of work around this where um, you know people have spoken about being quite successful of putting on your work hat, putting on your home hat, um, and all of those things. And mm. I actually find that there's a is probably a, a better nuance to doing that when you can do some work around your own identity and really digging deep on the who you are part, not the what you do. And what I try and work with people on is creating that identity and then taking that same identity to work, but asking yourself, how does this person show up to work? And then before you go in the house, you might look at that that vision of that identity again and say, how does this person show up at home? And what I actually found over time was, I had the alter ego thing down quite well. I was a particular person at work. I was a particular person at home. I was a different person with my mates. I was a different person on the golf course. But none of those people were genuinely me. They were all, I was playing a part. I was playing a role. I was turning up the way other people might have expected me to. I was turning up the way that I thought I was supposed to be at work, trying to get promotions or working longer hours or... and. And so what I've now found is if I can really and strongly identify who I am as a person, I don't have to play a role anymore. I can turn up everywhere. In this conversation with you, I am, I am focused on the same set of values as when I go and play golf tomorrow morning, when I go out with my friends, when I'm sitting with my daughter. The same set of values comes yeah. with me. It's just that this conversation is aimed a little different because the purpose of this conversation is different than sitting with my daughter, but it's the same person yep. moving in the same direction towards the same future yes. state of myself. And and I find that a lot easier way to 
managemental health and even perform at a better level because now it's intrinsic value that you're bringing to your role, not seeking external uh, validation. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I call that sometimes with our team showing up full spectrum. We don't want just a machine at work that, you know, doesn't show its, its, its full, full personality. And, and often it also feels a little bit like it's just your head working or is actually your heart involved in your decisions, which to me is super important because you just feel a very different vibe at work or between the customer and yourself if you actually show up as a genuine person. So how... How did that make you feel when you compartmentalized, in a sense, yourself in so many different Garys? Yeah, well, I, I think it, it's not something I really recognized until a long time after, um, you know, after I'd hit my hurdles or my struggles and look back. And, you know, to, to get back to it, I, I you know, was 18 years in, in the federal police, but the last 10 years of that, uh, I was battling a major depressive disorder uh, and also a gambling addiction that cost me $2 million dollars. Um, it cost me my career mm -hmm. ultimately through some poor choices at work. Um, certainly the reputation that I built over 18 years and maybe even over 40 years, that was gone. Um, and I was very close to, well, well, certainly considering the value of my own life is the way that I'd like to put it. Um, and, 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 you know, that was a very scary circumstance. And the, the odd thing to me was that that 10-year period was actually the most successful period I had at work. That was the most successful part of my working life was that 10-year period. But it was the, I was the most broken during that period of time. And, you know, it, it probably wasn't until, you know, this is, this is seven or eight years ago now, so it's probably not until, you know, four or five years past that where I, start, I started to put a few of the pieces together and realize I was never really conscious about how I was turning up at work, how I was turning up at home. Uh, how I was turning up in other parts of my life. I, I basically just got on the treadmill. There's a, there's a great quote from Thomas Merton that says, people will spend their whole life climbing a ladder only to realize when they get to the top, they've put it against the wrong wall. And I think what I was doing, and look, I loved my job. And perhaps if I had have been more conscious about it, it would have went in a different way. But I put my ladder up against the wall and I just went for it. And I just kept going and go I didn't bother to stop to make sure that there wasn't another wall that was equally as important. Or when we get to the top, can we combine walls together? It was just, mm. you know, and, and this is a, a thing that a lot of people in high performance do. And it's necessary because you have to be laser focused to be high performance. Um, but, but I also yep. feel like you can sustain optimum performance longer if you are able to be conscious about your reasons for being there. Uh, there are always going to be other elements of your life that exist. And if you ignore those, then one day they can come back to bite you. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very delicate balance sometimes. Um, but it's, you know, it's difficult because, again, for 10 years I was battling depression and a gambling addiction. And it, probably for seven of those, I masked it from myself. Like it, it wasn't like I was hiding it from other people. I was pretending to myself that I wasn't struggling. You know, we use things like, I'll be okay when I get a holiday. Uh, I'll keep working hard until I get a promotion. Um, I just, I'm just tired. Once I can have a good sleep, I'll be all right. You know, all of these things are actually us masking the problem from ourselves. We're trying to push the problem onto some other issue. We're trying to make sure that we're a victim. We're not the person responsible. And, and I did that for a long time as well. It's, it's, 
you know, when you're a problem solver by trade, it's very hard to admit that you've got a problem. And so, you know, the last thing that we want to do is be responsible for our own pain. I masked it from myself for a lot longer than I masked it from other people. And that is probably where you end up in more trouble uh, than not. Yeah. So what, what changed for you that you actually were more aware of it and, and, and realized that something is not going so well? Yeah, look, I, I think just that I, I think we, we often or we always get warning signs. Uh, and, and again, if, if we yeah. talk about a 10-year period that, that I, I battled with depression, there would have been warning signs in the first year. They were probably very small, and I just didn't listen to them. And then all of a sudden, yeah. uh, you know, the world has a funny way of making sure those warning signs are a little louder the next time around. And if you don't listen, they will get louder. And if you don't listen, they will get louder. And I got to a stage where, uh, you know, probably about seven years in, the way I would describe it is I vividly remember hugging my children and not wanting to be anywhere near that embrace. It, I just, I just, you know, these yes. people like your family, your parents that you are, that, that you are, that you love the most in the world. And I just didn't want to be there. It's not that I wanted to be, I'm not talking about wanting to be dead or anything like that. I just did yeah. not want to be in that embrace. I just couldn't feel anything. And, and that's probably the first time I really started to think, hang on, something, this is not right. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, a guy who's, who's come from a loving family. We've got a big family. And, and not wanting to be around family was starting to, you know, that caused me a little bit of concern. But even still, it wasn't enough. Like I, I started having some conversations with people, but still really struggling, still thinking I could figure it out, still not knowing what the problem was. And, and, and again, sometimes for, for men or for high performers, if I don't know what the problem is, can't really go to somebody yes. and tell them, hey, I've got a problem. You know, if I've got a broken arm, I go to the doctor and say, my arm hurts. If I don't know what the problem is, I sort of try and figure out what the problem is first before I go and, and ask someone yes. about it. And, you know, so then I didn't really listen to that warning sign either. And eventually I, I, I made some uh, stupid mistakes with my work credit card and, you know, I get a knock on the door from the, um, uh, from the deputy commissioner to start to explain my behavior. And um, that was probably the start of really having to turn my life around. Um, but that's that another 12 months later went by and I was still struggling and, Uh, then I, that's when I was getting very close to really exploring suicide as an option, and and to me that was that was probably the turning point that I hit the most. It was I realized at that moment that I really did only have two options, and one was to uh, to end it, and the other was to do whatever was necessary uh, to come through the other side. And uh, thankfully, uh, I made what I'd like to consider was a good choice at the time, and uh, you know. Another five years, six years down the track, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will ask you a little bit about what, what can be done, but just for people who listen who might have been in this situation, I remember I, when I wrote my thesis, I was under a lot of pressure because I didn't speak English well, but the thesis was in English. And at one stage, I was lying in bed and thinking, well, the easiest would be really if I just kill myself. Um, and I remember the body really revolting against it. It felt really like each cell says, like, hold on, this is not the right idea here and um and i think that's when i sort of backed up and and i think i asked for an extension or took the pressure off but that's quite extreme that's quite a, you know and and that was just a thesis that was not even something you know like people have 
very different problems that that really feel like way more pressure. And and I just wonder, like, what can, what can you do? Like, what what can you at that moment? What's the best thing to do to make the most out of this insight in the moment, rather than pushing it away, going back to the gambling table, to the alcohol, whatever it, you have, but actually like, just having that memory. If ever this happens, what, what's the thing that makes sure you follow through on actually investigating whether there's a problem? Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's interesting. I, I don't think it really matters what, I mean, you talked about your thesis uh, being, being the, the mm. consideration point and perhaps other people have uh, other difficulties. I don't actually mm. think it serves anybody to compare the issue and the reason why they might have the thought mm. because everybody's problems are big to them. Right. It, it's, you know, yes. it, it could be financial, it could be relationships, it could be an addiction, it could be depression, it could just be things aren't going mm. so well today. But if it's your problem, it's very big for you. And um, I remember mm. having a conversation with a psychologist and, you know, I, I certainly, you know, want to make sure that, that if, if people are struggling out there, that, you know, talking to somebody, I don't care who it is, right, yes. that, that just talking to somebody yeah. first is, is certainly a... Um, you know, a, a very um, sensible or good approach, uh, even if you are, you know, nervous about it. You know, there are plenty of anonymous helplines as well, like if you don't want to talk to a friend. So, you know, before I start having this part of the conversation, I, I want to make sure that people are aware that, you know, the best thing to do is actually to get it out of your own head and talk to someone. Even talking out loud to yourself can be more beneficial than letting it run around in your own head because, when you say something out of your mouth, you hear it with your ears, which makes it sound like it's coming from somebody else. And typically we can solve somebody else's problems or we're more willing to solve somebody else's problems than we are our own. Right? So, um, yeah. so sometimes even just saying it out of your own mouth, if nobody's around, can yeah. be a good first step. Um, but I had yeah. a conversation with a psychologist and I found it very interesting when he told me that the consideration of suicide isn't an, un, an unnatural thought process for the brain itself. Because if you consider yeah. what the brain's job is, the brain's job ultimately is to keep you alive long enough for you to have kids and for your kids to have kids. But the yeah. brain itself doesn't understand alive and dead. It really only understands pain. And it associates pain with death. The more pain I feel, the closer I am to being dead. Right? So, you know, whether it's physical pain typically is where this has come yeah. from. If, I, if I'm, you know, stabbed with something, physical pain, I'm closer to being, being dead. And so, therefore, the brain's job is to try and help you to avoid pain. I mean, its primary role is avoid pain, not, not seek pleasure, even though that is another part, but... The primary role is to avoid pain because that's how you survive. Um, and it's really got no concern whether you're happy in surviving. It just wants to make sure you're alive long enough to have kids. That's it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. if your brain or your mind or your, your thoughts are in so much pain, then in reality, if you're thinking purely from a brain point of view, suicide would stop the pain. Like the, like the, yes. the, it would end. Your brain is doing what it is designed to do, coming up with options to stop the pain. I think what a lot of people do in that circumstance is then start saying to themselves, "Don't think about suicide. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to do it. Of course, right? I don't want to do it. But don't think about. Oh, that's a terrible thought. That's 
But that then becomes their sole focus, trying not to think about suicide. And they close themselves down to a whole bunch of other options that are fantastic to, to remove themselves of the pain. Yeah. And you will hear people that have survived suicide attempts talk about feeling like they had no other option. And yes. I, I feel like a lot of the times what that really is is that we so focus down on the suicidal thought that we don't ever allow ourselves to fully consider the other options. And something that I found ben very beneficial was if that thought would come up, was to have a conversation with myself to say, okay, Brian, what you're doing is natural, but it's not helpful. That's not a helpful option, right? It's an option. Fantastic. You're doing your job. Appreciate you. But that's not the best option. So why don't we come up with some more? So acknowledge that the thought actually yeah. exists instead of trying to, you know, close down the thought. Because, again, if you've ever tried to not think about something, by, de by definition, you're actually thinking about it, right? And so it's probably, yeah. in my case, a lot better scenario to say, you know what, Brian? Good job. You came up with an option. You know, I like where you started, right? You started yeah. with an option, just not a good one. Mm. How about we come up with another one and then another one and then another one? And now all of a sudden we've created at least a thought pattern that says, well, maybe if I talk to somebody or maybe if I go for a run or maybe if I listen to some music yeah. or maybe if I hug my kids or something, right? Like you're yeah. just allowing yourself that, that alternative view. And, um, you know, I found that very beneficial in my own journey, certainly some of the people that I've worked with. But, you know, sometimes that understanding that a lot of the things our brain does is very natural. Um, it's just not helpful all the time. And accepting that yeah. and having a conversation around that, I, I think, can allow people some grace um, if they have thoughts they don't really want to have. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, t to my sort of initial question, what, what, I, what I heard you saying is basically you want to look for other options. If, if, so, so if you have that thought, you look for other options. If you can't find some, I would probably say, trigger yourself to reach out to someone and say exactly that because it, it sounds like you just need to give your brain more options and then you can also think about solutions then there and and so i guess reaching out to anyone would be helpful would you say it would be more the the people that love you that would help the most or not necessarily is it more like i trust this person will be able to help me is that how i select someone who reach out to 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 be not alone in this i actually think it depends on the person themselves at the end of the day anybody is better than nobody right so it, it doesn't really matter but some people feel more comfortable talking to people they trust other people will feel like if i talk to someone who loves me they will judge me and they may leave me if they feel like i think that i'm weak or i'm um crazy or i've got problems and so you could have either and in which case talking to a stranger is actually a lot easier because you don't actually care if the stranger isn't your friend anymore because they were never your friend in the first place and so really it's a yep. it is an, a very individual thing certainly again talking to somebody is better than nobody um and and i've not really found a case where if someone's spoken to a a loved one that the loved one has ever um, judged them poorly and left them. I've, I've never experienced that, but that 
that doesn't mean that people don't feel like that might happen, right? And so if, if people are worried about that scenario, then a total stranger, uh, an anonymous helpline or, or, you know, in Australia we have, you know, Beyond Blue or Lifeline, um, which is yes. a, a Lifeline is, is around a lot of places in the world. And, you know, that, that can be the first point as well, uh, you know. So it, it really just comes down to who you feel most comfortable telling first. And typically yeah. that goes okay and you probably will tell another person. Um, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of support lines too that have people um, with lived experience. So either they've, if it's yes. if we're talking about suicide, they've either attempted suicide or they're related to somebody who has or they have a lived experience of it. And some people may feel more comfortable talking to somebody who understands intimately what their thoughts are. You know, and so... Yeah, I, I think it really depends on the individual, um, but anybody is best. So what happened for you after you acknowledged that there was an issue? Like, what were the next steps that you... I, I went to the doctor, just the GP. Um, it wasn't okay. my GP. I didn't, I'd, I'd moved recently, so I didn't even have a GP that really knew me where I was. Um, and, and to be honest, I got, you know, because of the research that I was doing into it, I got very, I got scared that, you know, pretty soon the next steps might be to do something silly. So I just made a commitment to go to the doctor uh, and I promised myself at that point, I think I was probably scared enough that whatever they told me to do, I would do. Um, I, I, I no longer, I wanted to take all the thought process off me. I didn't want to consider whether that was the right thing, wrong thing. It was just, doc, this is what I'm thinking. What should I do? So I had seen a psychologist on and off for a bit. Uh, I went to some uh, group therapy for gambling as well. Um, and, and look, it, it, some of those things, for a long period of time, I was still gambling, even though I was going to the group meetings. Um, and I was still struggling a little bit, but not as much as I was. Like, it, it, you know, it's, I think it's also realistic to, to let people know that just because I went to the doctor didn't mean it all got fixed the next day. But yeah. it might have got it got no. fixed enough that I I got through the next day, and then it got fixed a little bit more that I got through the next day and the next, and eventually, you know what happens when you start to stack some of these wins together is that you wake up one day and you look back and think, oh, hang on, I'm no longer thinking those things anymore. I'm no longer doing those things anymore. And the most difficult part about it is really the consistency. And, and continuing to turn up to do the things. But, um, you know, again, once you get the problem out of your own head, um, it gets a little better. It gets better enough that you can get through another day or another experience or another week. And then you build from there. Like any good success story, it's built on a foundation and, and it's built with consistency, uh, not with one big effort and then a quick drop-off. The gambling is that was it escapism just to forget about the daily grind, or, or was that more like a different excitement? There's a reason why I asked. This no, question, that's okay. Way, not, not just yeah, look, uh, I um, my my personal belief, and, and this might be a little bit controversial to some people, is that all addiction is an addiction to escapism. It's an addiction to an escape, and yep. I do appreciate and accept. I've done a lot of studies on it. I accept that there are physical dependencies on some you know, drugs and alcohol at a particular point in time. Um, 
But the reason that we typically are drawn towards a substance or a thing or a behavior is that it in some way uh, provides us a reward. And what I've found over time is that reward is typically an escape from a thought that we don't want to have. Uh, perhaps it's time alone in our own head that we don't want to spend. Um, and yeah. then the longer we do that behavior, the behavior itself becomes a problem as well. Right? So we might drink one yes. day to forget about some problems, but if we drink every day to forget about the problems, the drinking becomes the problem, right? And, um, yep. and I think often then what we do is we focus on trying to stop drinking and we try and focus on stopping gambling, which is, which is something we need to do, right? That is a part of the process. Um, but it, but to me, it doesn't stop there because if you don't address the source or the uh, the cause, and you only attack the symptom, um, you know, I, I think in most cases the addiction is the symptom, not the cause, and uh, and so therefore the work needs to be a little deeper. But um, so for me, gambling, you know, you do get highs and lows. Right? That's all that all true. But gambling was an escape. I had noise in my head. And gambling was a way that shut it off 100% of the time. Um, music would work sometimes. Exercise would work sometimes. But gambling would work every time. And eventually, over 10 years, um, it gets out of control. You, you find yourself escaping before you've even considered what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah. yeah, so that's it basically. In, in, my, in the book that I wrote about it, uh, I call it um, the ego, the excuse, and the escape. And the escape was gambling. I had an excuse of depression, but ultimately my ego, uh, not my chest-beating ego, but me internally, was the problem. I had to fix me, not my depression. I didn't have to fix depression. I didn't have to fix gambling. I had to fix me um, and get right, you know, um, get right inside. And those other things went away once uh, once I did that. Yeah. So taking... You as an example, then, like, you, you know, it, it went to the, the point that things really fell apart. But if you would have recognized that earlier, or as you said, like you only showed up with a, with a particular part of you, if you if you would have brought yourself fully to to all parts of your life, like what what, what would be, would have been the path? Like how would that have changed? I'm trying to to figure out so that there was an issue of you compartmentalizing yourself and and that that didn't feel natural and good and so you you escaped that through through gambling would there have been a way to turn this around earlier yes the the, the path uh you know again in my experience in in the the those hundreds of, of people that i've worked with one-on-one -on -one in in the research that i've done the the path is to be more conscious as early as you can in life um to to create a clear and conscious identity, uh, a compelling vision of a future. And what I've now come to realize is that in the absence of a conscious identity, we all become a victim of circumstance, a victim of conditioning, and a victim of comfort. And if you are not conscious mm. about who you are, the things that you've always done just because you've always done them become your guiding principles. And If you're not conscious about who you are and somebody says to you on Friday, do you want to come for a beer? And you're not really conscious. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's what I'll do. That's the circumstance that gets in the way. And if you're not conscious about who you are and your alarm goes off in the morning 
but it's more comfortable to stay in bed than it is to get up, then you tend to just be a victim of that comfort. But if you can become conscious of who you are, um, then you start to really align yourself with your purpose. And look, I'm not saying you don't still stay in bed or you don't go for beers with, with your friends, but you at least do it from a conscious decision point of view, not purely because that's yes. what the external world is is putting upon you or that you're seeking some form of external validation. Or, you know, if you don't consciously know who you are, you look externally for all of your cues. So when someone gives you praise, you're like, oh, maybe that's what I should be. Or someone tells you that you were good, it's, oh, maybe that's what I should be. Or you see something on Instagram mm. and you say, oh, maybe that's what I should want, you know, because I don't know who I am, right? But if, once you learn who mm. you are, you can very, uh, very clearly and, and easily direct your purpose towards the things that you want. If going out with the boys on Friday night for a beer is part of what you want to do, Fantastic. But I've got to tell you, what I want to do on Saturday morning is more important to me than going out for beers on Friday night. I get to make that choice now. Yep. In the past, yep. uh, an unconscious conditioning made that choice for me. And now I consciously yes. say, well, you know what? I'd like to go out for beers, but I'd also like to do this at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. What's my choice? This is a conscious choice now. What am I choosing between? And in, in doing so, I think we free up a hell of a lot of time. Um, you know, I, I seem to be able to do far more these days than ever before. And I have so much more free time because I'm not second guessing anything that I do. I know exactly who I am. I yes. know the purpose for which I'm doing something and everything has its place. I can be 100% present here. And when we get off this, I move to the next thing and I can be 100% present there because I'm not trying to be something different here and then thinking, hang on, did I say the right thing there because I needed to do that over there and what yes. about this thing I've got tomorrow? Life just becomes a lot simpler, a lot more fulfilling, and I genuinely believe that that then becomes a, a higher performance tool um, and sustainable high performance tool. You can, you can live this life that I'm living now forever. Um, I don't know that you can live the... Um, jumping in and out and around of things successfully and fulfillingly for a long period of time. So uh, knowing your identity, that, that's really where the, the issues start. If you don't, if, 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 if you're not clear on your identity, therefore not on your priorities, you say yes to, to things that if you would ask you honestly, you should actually say no, which means you can say yes to the things that you really want to do. But, but if, if you're not clear on your identity in a sense, it leads to being unsatisfied and, and wanting to escape a reality that, that is basically not matching with, with, with what you actually Yeah, and yet. look, sometimes you might still choose to do the same things, but, I mean, yes. as, as Simon Sinek will talk about, you know, finding your why, if you did the same mm -hmm. thing but on one occasion you kind of felt like you were just on the treadmill and that's what everyone else was doing and therefore I did it, or alternatively, you did the same thing, but with a conscious thought process in line with who you are as a person, the outcome of those two things are probably very different internally, the way they feel. Yes. Right? So it's, it's the same mm -hmm. thing. I mean, and that's why I talk about my previous job. I, I may well have, I would have still have picked that job, I believe, in, you know, because that's, you know, I love this yes. and I, I love the things that I did. Um, what I wouldn't have had was a 10 year race to rock bottom. I may have 
altered the, some of the things that I did inside that career to be even more successful. Um, but, you know, I think anybody at any stage can start to seek the answers to those questions as to, to who am I. And, um, and what, I, what I think is, you know, you might get a little bit lucky and, and all the stuff that you do isn't uh, too far away from who you would choose to be. But the further you get away from your true values or your true purpose, you know, the, the chasm becomes great and you feel it inside. Right? You, you you feel off, right? You you start doing things that that don't please you. You start regretting behaviors. You might if if it's drinking, you wake up the next day wishing you didn't go out drinking. Or if you you know cheat on a partner, you wake up later on and you go, I wish I didn't do that. You start to feel guilty about things. These are all indicators that you are starting to be a little bit away from who you are as a person. And one of the difficulties for high performers, people really at the pointy end is that the fall is a lot greater. So if you're away from your values and you're right at the top of your game, right at the top of peak performance, and your values can be a very long way away from you. If, if you know, there are people mm. out there in the world that are just happy to plot along, it's very hard to get so far away from your values when you're just taking the step after the step. But if you're shooting for the stars and you get that wrong, you could be a long way from where you, you intended to end up. Even if that star is yeah. is still the same place that you would have wanted to end up, if you don't really do it for a conscious reason, you get there and look around and you're like, well, is this it? This, uh, this is not what I expected. I thought all my problems would be solved once I got here. Uh, once I made yeah. a million yeah. dollars, I thought you know I'd be happy. All of those things start to come up if you don't do it with a conscious intent. How can we... Make sure that we don't even get there. Like, like how how do we become that conscious and, and having a strong me identity? And maybe for parents, how can you support your children to go on that path and actually give them that gift of, of knowing what they want or who they are and what they believe in? And yeah, look, I think the first question, or the first thing to do is ask yourself or perhaps even ask your children, who are you? And 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 I I will say that especially if I if I'm talking in companies at companies these days, I will ask people to maybe for a minute just write down a couple of sentences about who they are, and then I ask them to let me know if either of their first two sentences doesn't have something to do with what they do for work or their family. So, wow, so most yes. people, if I ask you know even if I asked you who you are, you say well I'm Sebastian. You know I I run. Um, you know, I run the podcast, and you're into, is it is it the, the saunas that you've got? Right, we do it for it. Saunas wellness company. Yeah, that's so, right. Father, right, that so type that, of thing. And, and yeah. we start to say that that's who I am, but none of those are who you are. Right? Yeah, you run a wellness company. You are a father, yes. but that's not who you are. That's a thing that you you're do, right? right? And and okay, who you are might be um, purpose driven. Uh, might be. Disciplined might be um, value connection, uh, might be present. Now, those characteristics make you a good father. They probably make you a good business owner, but but who you are is that question. So, you know, so that that part of asking yourself genuinely. When I ask people again, I'll say, you know, what are your values? And most people will tell me they I know what my values are, and and then I ask them, I say, okay, well, tell me what they are. And they respond with, no, I know what they are. And I say, yeah, that's good. Just tell me what they are. 
and, and, and most people can't, right? They'll, they'll start to say things like, well, families are okay. my value and, you know, they rattle off things that auto-cue sort of responses. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the reason most people don't really want to get down and dirty with figuring out their values is they're probably going to have to admit that for a period of time they weren't living their values, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's okay because none of us live our values 100% of the time, but what we don't want to do is admit that we haven't been doing it. So we, the easiest way to do that is not even admit what they are. Um, but if we were talking to our kids, uh, we're not even talking to ourselves, we might ask them, what are the things that are important to you? Um, you know, I will ask clients all the time, if you were 95 and the, those nearest and dearest to you are around you, what would you like them to say about you? Not, not, what, not talk about your job, but what would you like them to say about your character? Um, your best friend. What do you like about your best friend? Um, people that you've admired and looked up to in life. What have you? What What are the qualities that they have that made you look up to them? And typically, what we will do is we will see in other people the things that we value. Right? What What we want our friends and family to say about us when we're ninety five is quite typically something that I value. I want them to see me for who I am. Right? That's my character. And, and that's a very easy first pass at asking that question. Who am I? Right? It's, and you are made up then of those values and then perhaps you might want to explore beliefs and those sorts of things. But primarily, you know, our, our identity is intrinsically linked to a set of values and those values we can find in some... Uh, I suppose, novel ways if we're prepared to ask the question. Very powerful. Do you find that younger generations have more of that in them, that they, 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 they are a bit more you know, value-driven, or is it just an age thing and it just goes away? What do you, what do you think? Uh, look, I, I think the answer is strangely yes and no. I think, I think the younger generation has it in them to be curious, uh, to seek the answers, to, to actually ask the question, or to at least talk up about the question. I think the older generation, when they start the process, has the discipline and the ability to be uncomfortable long enough to make sure they get to the bottom of the answer. Um, I, I do uh-huh. fear that sometimes the younger generation, while willing to be open about the exploratory path, do tend to still take the first and easiest option that presents itself. And I find that most yes. people's first response is a lie, um, most typically because we don't want to upset ourselves, again, that we hadn't been living our values or anything like that. But it's very easy to say, well, family is my number one value and uh, honesty is a value of mine and you know, just rattle these words off and then go, that's it, I'm done, um, rather than really exploring um, you know, not to say that family and honesty aren't important to people, but really exploring what are your true values, what are the things that you know, and what are the stories around your values that you can tell that give them meaning to you, that that help you determine whether you're living them out, that give you that story that says, you know, how does Sebastian, how does this version of Sebastian want to show up today? You know, what would this Sebastian just yeah. do? You know. A great what would Jesus do? Well, you know, we might not be that interested in what Jesus would do, but what would this version of Sebastian do? 
Well, that's important, right? The, mm-hmm. You know, my values are on my phone um, just because I look at my phone a lot. I don't know how much attention I pay to them, but I can rattle my values off. And if I feel a bit um, like I've, if I've been out and I feel a bit hot, hot and bothered and I drive into the driveway, I'll pull it out and I'll say, well, how does this Gary walk inside to his family? And, and I'll, I'll just give myself uh-huh. that conscious reframe of, you know, this Gary has to walk inside. What 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 is important about you know this Gary and coming into his family, and and that is a you know, again it's just a good conscious reframe rather than hot and bothered and get out of my way and you know it's, it's like no hang on yeah that's yeah. finished. This is who I am. What would this Gary do in all circumstances? You know and 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 then I get yeah. a chance to answer that question. Can you give a couple of examples of what they are? My, my values? Just of, to give it a bit of context. Yeah, 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 my, yeah. my values are purpose, growth, gratitude, discipline, presence, and service. Um, they have different meanings to me than they may well to somebody else. Um, but, for instance, I mm. create stories around them. So, for me, my number one value being purpose, um, it, for a long time, the main a story I would say around that is that my shit has to be worth something or my pain has to be worth something. Everything that I'd been yes. through in my life, the, the stuff that I've done wrong, um, the, the battles with depression and addiction, the people that I'd hurt, to me that had to mean something. And not just to work in that same field, right, to, to, but to be a better, a better husband, a better family man, a better friend, uh, a better employee or a better business owner. So all of those lessons, I could always look back and say, all right, I need to be better. That pain, that lesson, I have to learn it and make sure that it exists in, in my life differently today. Uh, I've got a six-month-old baby now, baby girl, and I've added to purpose now. And the next version of the story is, whilst one was focused on making sure my pain meant something, um, is that my role is to be her standard is the that's the story i tell that's the line i give and awesome. and my yes my narrative around that is at some stage in her life she's going to meet a man and allow a man uh, you know into her life either as a friend as a partner as a boss as an you know, employer my job yeah. is to make sure that i set a standard for her that she understands what level of man she should let in her life so now i can go yes. if i'm training in the gym and I feel like I want to stop early. Well, I'll ask myself, is this the type of guy that I think my daughter should be involved with? No. Well, my job is to be yeah. her standard. If I can be as best that standard, yes. then she gets the opportunity to at least see what the minimum standard is. And, and that yeah. drives me. That is my purpose, right? And now, again, when I was talking before about taking my identity and just and inserting it into different roles rather than changing my identity per role. When I have this conversation with you, I ask that question. What would be the minimum standard that I would expect if if this if I was my daughter's partner or boss, what would I expect of that guy? What should she expect of that man to show up? How would he show up? Um, when I when I go to the gym, how would he show up? When I go to work, when I work with a client, this is the standard the minimum standard that I want my daughter to know exists. And if I don't do that, then I'm you know, very powerful. I've let her down, right? So, so that's how, that's how I powerful. create the story around my values 
And again, I do that with each one yes. of them. They all have their own their own story. Um, but it's an iterative process. I mean, my the first go at my values list didn't look like that, you know. And and every few months yeah. I review it and maybe update the story, maybe update the list. It, it's an ongoing process. Um, I, I do think that primarily your core values will probably remain for your whole life, but the story around them might shift a little bit. And uh, I want to yes. make sure that. I don't let them down again, let those values down again. So I yeah. keep looking at them, I reflect on them, I, I reimagine them if I need to. And, you know, I ask myself the question a lot, you know, what would this Gary do? You've worked with hundreds of mostly men. But mostly men, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah. Mostly uh, men, yeah. Probably about 70% men. Yeah. Um, I could imagine that when you send them off on the journey of, of really figuring this out, that, that might clash with the job they're in, the relationship they're in. How does that go? Like, does that just, uh, do people have to quit their job? Do they just have a conversation with their manager? Like, what, what, what a good solution like, to, I, I just could imagine. Because, you know, you, money has come somewhere, you have to live sure. somewhere, and you want someone close. But if you actually realize I'm not that person that wants to be with this person because our values really mm. clash and I have to compromise my values to be with that person and the same in, in the job. Where does it lead? Um, well, it really depends on the individual. What, what they at least get is, a, is the opportunity to make a conscious decision towards what they want to do. And sometimes those decisions have some short-term pain attached to them. Um, and, but I think ultimately, if if you continue to make decisions that are not in line with who you are, the long-term pain is probably going to be greater. Um, and, and, but by the same token, just because somebody goes through a values exercise and may decide that the career that they've been in for 10 years is not right for them, in my view, doesn't mean they quit tomorrow. Um, you know, that, that starts the next process of, because you also need to figure out what is important to you. And, and look, there's, there's some people that just the story has been told wrong to themselves. And, and in the case that, that I, would, I would be thinking of is that, you know, there's some people that don't love their job necessarily and maybe their job isn't fulfilling to them. It's not their purpose. It's not what they've been designed to do. However, their job might afford them enough money so that they can live their purpose in other ways. Now, if you're... If your purpose is to be the world's greatest dad who always goes to your son's soccer training um, three nights a week and to the games on the weekend, well, it doesn't matter if you're the school janitor because you finish, you, get, you start work at nine and you finish at three and you can always make the training, right? If your, if your main purpose is that son's training, then finishing yeah. work at three is probably more important than a, you know, a high-flying job that finishes at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m even though it might pay more money. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it just comes down to reframing, you know, when you start to understand what your values are, your purpose and your identity, how do things fit? Right? It's, it's not that you have to work in the job that is your values or your purpose, but how does it fit in with your values and your purpose and your, you know, and the things that you want out of your life? And, and so, yes, look, sometimes people do have a realisation that, the partner I've been with for a long time is not the partner that I would choose to be with. And then we have different mm. conversations about 
can they become that person? Can you become that person? Can, mm. you know, uh, does, does either party have the interest in becoming that person? You know, I mean, yes. but I do, you know, brutal honesty is one of my uh, values, I suppose, in, in my business. And, and ultimately, if you're with somebody that you don't want to be with, I mean, in reality, the decision's already made. Now, we can work on ways to get you to that point better, but I'm not really sure that if you've already decided you don't want to be with them, and to be quite frank, by the time they've come to me, they already know the answer. They just don't want to say it out loud. Right? They're not happy in their relationships. Yes. They're not happy in work. They're making mistakes. They're drinking too much. They're gambling. They're, they're mm-hmm. investing in Bitcoin when they don't know a darn thing about Bitcoin. They're... They're, they're looking at other women or other men or they're cheating on their partner or they're sitting on the couch all day doing nothing or they're eating too much food. They already know that something's going wrong. They just aren't yet capable wow. to say this is it. They just don't want to admit that this is what it is and that's yeah. the first part of the process. And the great thing is from there is that now you get an opportunity to actually, I don't care if you're 20, 30, 50, 80, when you get to this realization, you now get a chance to live the rest of your days moving towards yes. that, you know, that version of yourself that is compelling, that, that you, know, you do want to be. And you know, that's, a, that's a really great place to be, even though it does come with you know, taking a little bit of skin off sometimes along the way. Yeah, I understand. So when other people see that someone is suffering and struggling or something, or it's just overall is somehow off tilt and unbalanced. What's the best way to get to these people? Or is it highly individual? You know, like sometimes the best friend can do wonders and the partner can do wonders and sometimes the partner can't do anything and needs to come from somewhere else. Like what chances do we have to reach these people really? Yeah, look, I, I think it's it's very difficult to reach somebody that's hurting because they ultimately need to reach that point themselves. Um, but I, I do think that it can be facilitated. I don't think, I think it would be rare for you to just say to somebody, hey, you've got this problem, and they go, yeah, you're right, actually. I, thank you for that. I, I'm, and I checked yeah, my life right up. You know, so <laughs> look, ultimately, if your friends have started recognizing you've got a problem, or to be honest, if you started recognizing your friends have got a problem, some part of them knows it already. And one of the reasons why they yeah. revolt against you telling them they've got a problem is because they know it, they just don't know what to do about it. And they don't want to be that person. Um, you know, because if if their life is in such a state where their behaviours are now obvious to you, you're probably talking about at least six months, if not longer, that they've kind of felt it themselves. They don't know what it is. They just, you know, I used to say, I, I yeah. knew I had a problem. I just didn't know what it was. And I knew even less what to do about it. And, you know, so for a long yeah. time... People will know that. I think, I think it is important to have honest conversations with people, um, especially if you're very close, like if you have a trusted relationship without judgment and perhaps saying something like, hey, Sebastian, I, I, I just realized that you've been a bit off lately. Is there something that you want to talk about? Hmm. They will most likely say, no, yeah. I'm fine, or I've just got to get through something. Okay. Um, but they might not. They might tell you straight up. If they say they're fine, you say, okay, yeah. that's okay. Um, but if you ever do want um, someone to chat to, just let me know, right? Like, you know, you also don't want to make your friends feel like they're, you know, they're, they're going to be ostracized or that they're weird or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
Another very powerful thing that I've found, if if you've got a friend that's struggling and you in some way have struggled yourself, sharing your own struggle will often yeah. provide, you know, I, I think I might have heard Tony Robbins say this, that being vulnerable gives other people permission to be vulnerable. And so if you if you have it in you to, you know, and I've found this a lot that people that I've, that didn't know my story before when I've opened up about it have just blurted out everything just because they, you know, I think it's inside us. We think, well, if this person's had problems, they're not going to judge me for my problems. This is a safe place. Yes. That can be helpful. If you have had an issue in in your life or a struggle and you are happy to share it, I think that can, uh, that can be helpful. And look, another thing that I, I think can be helpful is to demonstrate. Often if we've got partners, we like to tell them that they need to change, but we don't feel the need to change ourselves. And, you know, if perhaps yep. you need to stop hitting snooze on your alarm and you need to start changing the way that you eat your nutrition and and that you need to cut down on your drinking and, you know, perhaps not encourage that, oh, we'll go out tonight and I'm going to drink, but you can't drink because you're always silly when you drink. It's like, well, you know what? How about we both don't drink? <laughs> yeah. And perhaps you go and see a... Uh, you know, a, a counselor or a therapist or a coach or a psychologist, or you invest in some personal development or some growth, and maybe your partner will jump on board and maybe they won't. Um, but you're probably going to be better yeah. off for it anyway. So, you know, it's not going to hurt. Um, and then I, I do think that people need to make good decisions for themselves as well. I, I think they have to be very mindful that sometimes, especially if it's a relationship, an intimate relationship, that your partner's behavior, uh, if it is negative for a long period of time, is going to have an, a negative effect on you. And people have to be mindful of their own safety and their own mental health and their own security. And they have to make good decisions for themselves first, not not for their partners. Um, you, you can yeah, be a yeah. good supporter, but you don't have to uh, you don't have to knock around your own mental health and your own self worth in order to do that. Um, so I think it's very important that if you are caring for somebody that is struggling, that you make sure that you are making sensible and conscious decisions around your own safety or mental health as well. Mm. Powerful. So powerful. Absolutely fundamental. If you get it right, and one can see that easily with you, you're a happy, purposeful person that um, enjoys life, yeah? And enjoys working with people. Yeah, absolutely. And and and. Look, I think if you, it doesn't mean you don't have bad days and it doesn't mean that you don't experience negative things, but everything comes with perspective when you are, again, very conscious about who you are and where you're going. Um, you get to use negatives in a far different way than if you're a victim of everything in life. And, uh, you know, I, I think yeah. it's a, for me, um, they, it's a very, very nice place to live. And um, I'm certainly glad. Um, you know, and I, I've found a way now to be very grateful for, excuse my language, for the shit in my yeah. life. Um, because without yeah. it, I, I wouldn't have found this. And, and having found this, I really can't be angry at anything that's happened before. Yeah, awesome. And you, you are making your learnings and insights available as well. I, I believe you mentioned already one-on-one work is possible yeah yeah i i um look I, i usually offer everybody a free coffee if it's by zoom you might have to make your own coffee but you know i i, I like to <laughs> before i work with people I, i also want to make sure that um there's a there's a, a good relationship that i i can actually help people so um yeah look i work one-on-one with people 
Um, it used to be men primarily. It's it's typically now more in in a high performance field or probably a a more mm-hmm. alpha personality action taking type of field. So military, police, yeah. business, um, executives, uh, athletes that that sort of realm. But you know anybody needs help. I'm I'm if I'm available, I'm available. Um, I do business consulting as well for mental strength, and and I I work with a. A few clients on high performance as well. I do high performance coaching for for athletes and, and executives and and those types of things. So yeah, you, you can find me for that. I, I I write a little bit. I'm doing a, a PhD next year, so I'll be I'll be uh, doing my own thesis. So hopefully I don't uh, have those same thoughts. I'm was a bit young. Uh, yep. you know, I speak around town as well at uh, a few conferences. Um, you know, every now and then on Instagram and, and YouTube and. Um, through great things like you know having discussions with yourself and uh, if anyone wants to find me they can google my name which is on the screen and should come up with some nice stuff there's a few bad stuff things in there from my past as well but um we've spoken about those already and that's a colorful that's right uh, we've all got a story <laughs> and um yeah or you can find me at yeah. strong mend uh, m-e-n-d where most of my business com. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and I, I would also encourage uh, any business owner or, or someone who, who leads a department to engage with you maybe for speaking events because it is it is easy to understand. Overall, your message is easy to understand because it is something that matters to everyone and everyone has thought about it in one way or another. And, um, you know, if, if I think about leading a team and, and I have someone who can really trigger the team to, to ask these deep questions – from a really selfish perspective, you probably have a happier team, but also the, you have you have maybe a better performing team, and maybe the people that actually don't fit because they said actually this is not my mm. passion, you know, might also then make the right decision and make space for people who fit right. So I, I think your message is super super powerful and uh, so needed because I think it makes the whole world a better place when people actually live purpose and not yeah, and- just showing up was part well, of just, them. Just on that too, I, I I genuinely believe. I, I think there's there's no doubt that you know building mental strength and resilience is a performance tool. It is a, it is a high performance tool, um, and and in particular, I think in workplaces these days, you get the double benefit of having your staff feel valued um, and and find their own purpose, their own level of resilience, um, and that helps them outside of work. Which naturally helps them inside of work, and um, you know I, I've certainly found that it's a it has a very large ROI um, in the long run to to you know to value your staff, to value culture, and and to help them build their own mental strength and resilience. And um, you know it's it's a funny, but you know it doesn't matter whether you're an individual, a team, or a, or a company. We all go through the same thought processes. Our brains are all wired the same way, and if you can learn to understand them you can learn to control them and um our own brains not control other people's brains but uh you can <laughs> yeah. uh, once we understand them we we can fix them and we can we can build on them and we can create anything that we want uh, once we know that path terrific gary thank you so much for your time that was invaluable really appreciate you being here i uh, appreciate you. it sebastian and i love the stuff that you're doing uh, in your wellness stuff but also with the podcast uh, there's some yeah. really good stuff there mate and uh I look forward to um, you know talking again sometime in the future. That would be great. Strong M E N D strongmend.com everyone. Thank you so Thanks, much Gary. <laughs> we hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. 
please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it, whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey. These stories of remarkable transformation, success, and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.